0: Can we please open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 4? And as we open to Philippians chapter 4, you probably already know this, but if you don't, you'll learn quickly that Philippians chapter 4 really doesn't have anything to do with Palm Sunday. And so with that being said, I'm just telling you now that the the Palm Sunday-related content from the pulpit will happen tonight at the dinner. So make sure you come on out tonight. And we'll talk about our Lord's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which is observed uh, in that occasion. But we are in Philippians chapter 4 and continuing our verse-by-verse journey through this book. It's funny, I, I... I spoke recently with Addie, and uh, and also also Melissa while she was away is away, and uh, you know they've been they've been going from kind of looking on Sundays for a church, and and I speak to my son uh, who's pretty established in Virginia, in a church, but occasionally we'll go to a, a different one now and then. Um, and, and one of the things that they always mention, and and, and and this has been told to me and maybe you've observed it as well, is that it seems like the churches talk about money a lot. Every time I go, they talk about money. And I always say, well, boy, we hardly ever talk about money here. I mean, we do an offering every week and I always say, you know, thank people for their generosity and thank God for his faithfulness. And uh, visitors... We're not looking for your money. I mean, you know, you know how it goes. And so, but now, I come to a passage of Scripture that is actually on that subject. Paul wrote to the Philippian church and talked to them about how they supported him financially. And it's not a passage of Scripture. What happens very often when passages of Scripture like this come up is... You'll hear different views concerning tithing or you'll hear different views concerning this or that related to money. But what you'll find in this passage of Scripture is that this Paul did not get into that here with them. What Paul talks about here is together giving and receiving. And he talks about what a blessing it is to give what a blessing it is to receive, and what a great God-honoring thing that it is to do that. And it's appropriate for us to talk about that in church because, well, it's in the Bible, obviously, number one. but, But number two, this is Paul addressing a church about giving that they did in church, and then what they received was, at least in part, or maybe in total, used to support the Apostle Paul. So this is a passage of Scripture that does deal with the issue of giving to your church to be used for things that glorify the Lord, in this particular case, to be a support to the Apostle Paul, who was a prisoner in Rome, but he wasn't a prisoner At this point of his life, like in a dungeon or in a jail cell, so much as he was in Caesar's own, uh, he was under Caesar's personal charge, and he was actually allowed to live a somewhat normal life for a prisoner and was even allowed to receive uh, visitors frequently and, and actually became well known even to the prison guards, and even as the end of this letter indicates had even led some people to to Christ. So, uh, during the course of all of that living out, the Philippian church, at least on one occasion, had sent Epaphroditus, we learned about him earlier in the letter, had sent Epaphroditus to Rome to deliver uh, the fruit of financial giving that the Philippian church had done. And in this passage of Scripture... This passage of Scripture is just a gem because it's so simple. And it lays out how giving is all good. Giving is win, win, win for everyone involved. Before I pray, let me just ask you a question. And I have to get to it because it's already 11.30, so I know, I don't want to take you real over today. But um, how many people... How many parties are involved with giving in church? Think about that for a minute. And now I'll answer three. Three. There is the giver, there is the recipient, and there is God. Right? And in this passage of Scripture, very clearly, each one of those parties, giver, recipient, actually not in that order, recipient, then giver, than God are spoken of. And listen to this. The effect that giving in church has on them. Giving has an effect on the person who receives what is given. Giving has, that's why it's called giving and receiving, this message. Paul speaks of it in the text as giving and receiving, not just giving. Giving has an effect on the giver. That is is not just internal in your own spirit, but is actually supernatural. Faithful giving invokes something in a sovereign God that causes Him to promise, I'm going to make sure I meet every single one of your needs. And that's in this passage. And then giving itself is also something that glorifies God. And specifically, giving to your church. Giving in church. Giving, in this case, to the Philippian church, for the designated purpose of supporting the Apostle Paul. Let me pray, and then I'll read starting in verse 10, and then we'll break it down a little bit, and and that'll be it for today, okay? Let's pray, everybody. Dear Father in heaven, dear Lord God, thank you so much that we are here together today, and thank you for bringing us to this time of your word. And I pray, Lord God, that the simple, yet powerful things that are said in this passage would be received by all and that we would be doers of them for your glory. We thank you, Lord God, that we have this time together now. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother, can you toss me that? Give it a nice heave. Beautiful. Oh, man, that was a great throw. I can see that. Reminded me of uh, Nick Foles scoring that touchdown in the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. Right? The Philly special. There you go. All right. Sorry, Giants fans and all you other fans. Okay. Verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need. For I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well. That you shared in my distress. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay so he opens the passage by saying a familiar phrase to readers of Philippians but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly He has already twice in this letter commanded them to rejoice in the Lord and again I say rejoice so the apostle Paul says here that he rejoiced I rejoiced in the Lord greatly what did he rejoice over I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Right? And as you read through the passage, you see that in context, what he's talking about is that this church had sent a, uh, a financial gift by the hand of Epaphroditus, who I call Erod, because it begins with E and there is an R O D in the middle. You see that? So, so Epaphroditus is Erod. I'll just say Epaphroditus there because only a handful of there's only a smattering of laughs. I thought that would I thought that would garner a little more than that, guys. All right. So in any case, I lost you on the Nick Foles thing, I know. So too many sports illusions in one uh, in one sermon. So he rejoiced because he had received this gift, and he says to them, Surely you did care, but you lacked opportunity. I mean, he knew they cared about him, but but they, they lacked opportunity because of where he was. And then the opportunity arose through the journey of Epaphroditus to Rome and they were able to bless and to give to him. Now, the first thing that you ought to note about this is what? The giving of the people of the Philippian church caused what? Joy, right? And what he says was, and I want you to be very clear about this because sometimes we... we, I don't like the phrase over-spiritualize, but I feel like sometimes it it sort of fits. And sometimes what we can do is, in an attempt to just honor God, an honest attempt to just include the Lord in everything that we say, we, we, we forget sometimes about the basic practical implications of the things that we say and do in the lives of other people. And you see what Paul says here is, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last, what? Your love for God? No, that's not what it says. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your love for God has flourished again. No, he says what? Your care for me. That's not, because we might say, well, I just, I'm just giving to the Lord. Now, that is true because in the last part of the passage, it does very much describe giving in terms of your giving to the Lord. But what Paul says here is what? You folks cared for me. Look, do you see what that giving that they did? And, and they cared for him in many ways. I'm sure they prayed for him. I'm sure they honored him when he was present. I'm sure they were concerned about him. They sent Epaphroditus to him. They wanted to know how things were going with him. But they gave and they gave so that part or all of what they gave to the church that day or during that season or however they did it, no details are given, was delivered to the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Paul received that. And later in the passage, he goes on to say, what? Well, I didn't even really need it. I you know you got. But you know what? He was caused to rejoice because their giving showed your care for me. Right, And so the first thing that you ought to learn from this passage about giving is that giving is an expression of care and of love and your giving can bring joy beyond the actual value of the material or money or service. Your, your giving can bring joy to the person who receives it. And listen, is not part of how we ought to behave towards one another as Christians, that we ought to be looking and seeking out opportunities to stir up joy in one another. In this particular case, it brought joy to the Apostle Paul that, man, these people in this church, they just care about me so much. And so they gave, and I don't even really need it. But you know what? What I what I really want is I really want their account as he says, before God to be full. And so I I yearn for the, the fruit of the blessing of God in their lives. And I am so touched and filled with joy in the Lord that these people care for me so much. The privilege that we have to give, the privilege that we have, that it is to give in church, is a way of showing encouragement. Now I stand in front of you as, and I was trying to think about the best way to say this, without it feeling awkward and everything. But obviously, when you look at, especially at a small church like ours that basically has just one pastor whose salary, for lack of a better way of saying it, is underwritten by the giving of the congregation. Uh, I I absolutely have thanked God in my life many, many, many times that for so many years now, I'll be here 17 years in, in October, but but the giving of what has typically been a small congregation like this size, you know, has has been able to take care of my family and I. And like Paul, I can say that this has been a great blessing to me and has brought great joy to my heart, and is I take it as a reflection of your care for me. I think it's biblical for me to be able to say that to you. So God bless you, which is what Paul goes on to say to them. And thank you very much. Um, And I know that you give because you love God. But I know also that you give because you care. And I love the fact that you care. And so thank you. Thank you very much for that. And it does cause me to rejoice. That's, that's really the important thing, isn't it? Is that the giving stirred up joy in the recipient. Now, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Now, verses 11, 12, and 13 are sort of like a a parenthesis, a parenthetical statement where the Apostle Paul inserts his personal perspective on the state of having everything I need versus lacking. And and the way he concludes it is with probably what is one of the more familiar statements of the Apostle Paul in his letters. And he said, not that I speak in regard to need. So Paul says, you made me rejoice showed your care for me, but I'm not speaking of that because like, I need you to do this. He says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Right? And and when Paul wrote to Timothy, who was one of his great traveling companions, right? That's exactly what he said. For time's sake you don't have to turn there, but you know the verse. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it's actually inside your bulletins, I believe. 1 uh, Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, says that godliness with contentment is great gain. He says that we came into this world with nothing, and surely we won't carry anything out of it. And uh, he said, with food and clothing, with these we shall be what? Content, right? So the Apostle Paul had learned to be content in whatever state that he was in. He said, I know how to be abased, which means basically to be down and I know how to abound, which means to be uplifted and full. Everywhere and in all things... That that covers pretty much life, right? Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then the famous statement, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that reads like an axiomatic statement. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. and, And well so... And so it gets uh, applied in a lot of different ways. Here comes my third sports reference of the sermon today, but I remember years ago, uh, uh, walking into a, a youth ministry where I was doing some volunteering there, a big poster on the wall of a soccer player. and he was, it was a goaltender, a goalkeeper, and he was like stretched really far with his hand out, and you could see the ball. And he was stretching and trying to reach for the ball, and had the Bible verse on the bottom: "I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me." So, I guess he was applying it to reaching to stop the ball from going into the net, right? But uh, but it, you know, it made a nice, powerful little impact for youth who were coming into a youth center. Um, but so it does, like kind of get applied this concept to a lot of things. But and it's true, no matter what the issue, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens. me, Whatever Christ calls me to do. I can do it because I get my strength from Him. Amen? Amen. Now, what Paul is saying is, if God wants me to be rich, if God wants me to be poor, if God wants me to be full, or if God wants me to be hungry, if God wants me to have an abundance, or God wants me to lack, I can do it. I can do it because I get my strength in here. I get my strength from the Lord. I have learned to be content. I have food. I have clothing. I am content. If I have a lot, great. I can use it to help other people. I can kind of maybe set myself up for the future a little bit, be responsible, be a good steward. If I have a little, listen, the Lord provides for me. No matter what, I can do it either way because Christ gives me strength. Right? That was Paul's perspective on this. Verse 14 he gets back on to his train of thought. Nevertheless, nevertheless, what are the next four words? You have done well. Right? He tells them of their giving, even though I'm telling you, even though I'm telling you that I can abound and I can lack and I can be rich and I can be poor and I can be full and I can be hungry. Right? still you've done well why had they done well regardless of the fact whether paul needed anything or not why had they done well because paul had joy and encouragement in his heart that is special it's supernatural it comes from god he said i rejoice in the lord he had joy from god in his heart because those people cared for him brothers and sisters brothers and sisters I can, I can be really tight with the context and say that as the pastor of a church who receives his sustenance from the offerings of the people of the church, that it is of great encouragement to me. Or I can go broadly beyond that specific tight context and say simply in your day-to-day relations with one another, when we give and we support and we are kind and we are generous to one another, doing so much more in the kingdom of God than just meeting an immediate need. Though meeting the immediate need is a good and powerful thing, you are supplying joy and encouragement to a brother and sister. Do you understand that? So number one, who benefits from this giving and receiving that Paul says the recipient does? Obviously, right? Who else benefits? Well, the giver benefits too. You press on in verse 15. He says what? Verse 14, you've done well that you shared in my distress. Now, now you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, meaning when he first went there and started preaching the gospel and when the church was first kind of getting off its feet and getting started. You Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, which is the region, the nation that the city of Philippi is part of, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Right? So he says that in such a way that implies that more churches ought to be talking about this. He commends them because he's saying to them, like, you know, you guys are the only church who, like, are just really into this and talk about it and you're faithful to it. And so he gives them condona- uh, commendation. And then he says in verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, and the reason he says even, the reason he says even in Thessalonica is because, well, he was in another city, in another church. And if you read the letters, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, and read the account in the book of Acts about when Paul was in Thessalonica, what you see is, like Paul had to say to them, see, see, in, in 2 Thessalonians comes the famous statement, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. Because they had what was apparently well entrenched in the values of the people of Philippi was lacking in the people of Thessalonica, not to be too hard on the Thessalonian church because they suffered a lot in the beginning of their existence, but the Lord sustained them, and the Lord was very good to them so I'm not being hard on them, but what Paul is saying is if you read first and second Thessalonians too, you can see that when he was in Thessalonica they were they, they They wanted to set an example for him and his companions, wanted to set an example for those Christians. So he says to them, I worked day and night, laboring with my hands to provide for myself. And what happened was the Philippian church used to supplement what Paul could do, evidently, from this. Even when he was in Thessalonica, they sent support to him there. So Paul was ministering in the Thessalonian church, not being supported by them, though he had every right. He said that, I have every right to to expect this from you. But he wanted to set an example for the ones who didn't have a good work ethic, right? Those are the ones that he had to say, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. And in the course of kind of making that sacrifice, here came Thessalonica and Philippi, Are both in Macedonia, by the way, So here came another Macedonian church, the Philippian church, coming along and sending aid to the Apostle Paul. So you see that at least in two places outside of Philippi, in in two places outside Paul's direct present ministry with the Philippian church, the Philippian church sent aid to him in Rome and in Thessalonica. You see? So he says to them, Verse 16, Even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Verse 17, look at this, ready? Not that I seek the gift. Now get ready, here comes the next point. But I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. What does that mean? That means there is blessing that is not just for the recipient, but there is blessing also for who? For the giver, right? So Paul was like, Not that I'm asking you to gimme, 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 gimme. I mean, we can all, I don't have a lot of time, but we can all easily make pokes at the ubiquitous, greedy televangelist who's always asking for money and saying, God says if you send me your best gift, I'll do this for you and I'll do that for you. And, you know, that's obviously in so many cases such a terrible manipulation of people's feelings and 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 something that ought not to be done in the name in the name of Jesus but what you see the apostle paul says here is that i not that i'm seeking the gift but i know i know that when you give what are you doing you're storing up something in an account does that sound like anything familiar you've heard in the new testament anywhere does it sound like anything that jesus taught Remember when Jesus talked about treasures on earth and treasures in heaven, what did he say? He said, don't store up treasures on earth where the thief can break in and steal, where moth and rust corrupt. No, lay up for yourself what? Treasures in heaven. And I think this is very much what Paul has in mind. And there's, there's nothing wrong with having that as your motivator. I mean, Jesus didn't say, you know, uh, lay up treasures in heaven and then you have to feel guilty about doing that. No, he said lay up treasures in heaven because you can and you should. Like when you're, when, when they were giving, they were storing up heavenly treasures for themselves that nothing, not a, a thief can't take it. The effects of nature, like a moth or, or, or rust or, or some other just agent of, of de- uh, degradation that goes along just with time, none of that can touch it everything that you do under the Lord, everything that you give, every penny, every dollar that you give under the Lord. Listen, God is what? Listen, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He who gives to the poor lends to the Lord. You know, all of these things, right? Listen, Paul was like, listen, I'm not, I'm I'm not seeking the gift from you, but what I seek is what abounds to your account. You guys are so faithful, given to me when I'm in Thessalonica, even given to me here in Rome. What I really want to see is how God is going to like just store up for you and bless you when you get to be with Him where you are forever. And that's, listen, that is all in tune with what the day-by-day mindset of every Christian is supposed to be anyway. Affections set on things above, not set on things on the earth. So you see that a person's giving not only blesses the recipient, but the person's giving also establishes future blessing for them in a place where the blessing will never wear out or die out or lose its value or anything like that. It's a test of faith, isn't it? Do you believe it? The Philippians believed it. Because the Philippians, it seems like, were seeking out. Like, that's why he had to say to them, listen, I know you cared, but you lacked opportunity. They were looking, how can we help Paul? How can we bless Paul? we got to get Paul another gift. He probably needs more. We haven't heard from him, but we want to be able to help him. Let's take a collection. Let's send Erod to go find him, right? And, 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 that's, and that's what happens. And this, this, he's writing this in response to that. And telling them, I'm not talking about the gift. What I'm talking about is the fruit that abounds to your account. Your account of fruit. How many of you know that you have like a fruit account? You do. You do. You do. This is one, not the, but one of the ways that the balance is increased. To put it in that sort of terminology, right? Jesus spoke of... um, I mentioned already, Jesus spoke of storing up treasures in heaven. Go on in the passage, just for time's sake, because I want to get this done. Um, I'm full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, Now, look at this. We already said that this giving and receiving blesses the recipient. We've said that giving and receiving blesses the giver. Who else does giving and receiving bless? Yeah, look at this. The things sent from you. What? A sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. In 2 Corinthians 5, we all know the passage of Scripture that says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for the things done in our body, whether good or bad. That's 2 Corinthians 5.10. Do you know what 2 Corinthians 5.9 is? The verse right before that, that sets that up. It says, whether present or absent, we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to Him in all things for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, right? So the idea that I'm going to stand to give an account for my life to Jesus one day, in that hymn we sang, Rock of Ages, uh, uh, Augustus Toplity spoke of, of appearing one day before his judgment throne. I mean, the hymn writer, and I, I appreciate that context that I wasn't aware of, so much as he's in that, in that gorge and thinking about, no doubt, the majesty of God, is thinking about the fact that one day I'm going to stand before Him and stand before His judgment throne. Well, the Apostle Paul, when thinking about that judgment throne, said, I make it, we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to Him in all things. And you see what this says here in Philippians? Sweet-smelling aroma, acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So, not only does giving bless the recipient, not only does giving bless the giver, but this giving in church it's well pleasing to god there are many other things to say churches should be accountable and reasonable and and you know as careful as possible prudent wise givers should participate in the decisions that are made and we try really hard here to adhere to all of that but when you're giving, know that and trust that it is well-pleasing to God. You bless the recipient. You ble- it is a blessing to the giver. And it is a blessing to God. And by the way, look at verse 19. Look what is attached to it. What's the first word of verse 19? And. Conjunction, junction. What's your function? hooking up words and phrases and clauses, right? It starts with and because this is something that's connected to this talk of giving. One of the blessings, one of the supernatural involvements of God in your life, let me say that again, one of God's personal ways that He involves Himself in your life, certainly not the only one, but one of them is, As you are faithful to this, what does he say? He shall supply all your need. Listen, according to what? You think the Gateses and the Bezoses and the Trumps and all those people of the world have financial wealth upon which to draw, you know, God, the creator of the universe, holds everything in his hands. His riches and glory by Christ Jesus, through your relationship with him, by your faith in Christ Jesus. What does he say? He doesn't say what the televangelist says, that God's going to dump miraculous hundreds of thousands of dollars into your checking account and all this other stuff. I mean, it's so cockamamie, some of the stuff. It's like criminal, practically, you know? Like, you know, if you wake up one day and $100,000 that's not yours just, just appears in your checking account, don't keep it. You make sure you tell someone or you may end up in prison, right? You know, it's, it's crazy. But what God says is what? I will what? Supply your what? Need. Isn't that isn't that just like God? It, you're storing up your treasures in heaven, but even while you're here, I'll, you give and I will make sure all your needs are met. Fair? It's beyond fair. It's like it's like it's like amazingly good for us. Give in faith, give faithfully, and God says, I will take care of you according to what I have, my riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Not, not, Not promising you that Maserati or anything like that, but certainly promising that your needs will be met and there is what in that peace? Peace. Isn't it funny that this is attached to a chapter that speaks of the peace of God which passes all understanding. There's more things to say, but it's Palm Sunday dinner day and it's 12 o'clock and I think I'm going to, I hate miss, we're doing really good singing the final hymn, but it's 12 o'clock straight up. Let's all stand up and we'll close in prayer.